Our sermon text for this morning comes from Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. My name is Kenny Stokes. Again, my wife Kathy is in the front row here with me. Um, You already know my role. Let me just pray now before I open up the word. Father in heaven now, help us as we look into your word. I pray for a, a grace of encouragement, a grace of worship, a grace of of evangelism as we look into this text that is so rich with with grace and a vision of you and a bold call to speak and reach out for the glory of your name. So help me as I unfold this word and and help all who hear, I pray, for the glory of your name. Jesus, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Charlie sent me an email And he said, after talking with Kevin, it made sense to put the idea in my head to to say something about evangelism. And at Bethlehem, we are praying for a grace of evangelism uh, this holiday season, that the Lord would give us grace as we gather with family at Thanksgiving and as we move into the Advent season um, to to speak the gospel to other people. And we're learning some things. One is... Um, we need to speak the gospel more to one another so that as we treasure the gospel to one another, it just becomes a natural overflow if we speak of the gospel to other people. That we, You know, good night. I stand here by the gospel. I mean, no, no sense of fitness on my own right, right? Uh, Christ is my righteousness. My sins are forgiven. He will enable me to feed this blood-bought people uh, by his own word. Not not me, but him. And it's just gospel stuff. And so that's one of the things we're learning. And uh, I think there's a prayer here in this text that that uh, is a great encouragement to our outreach and evangelism. And, and so I want to hold out this prayer to you that we just read in Acts 4. And my aim is that you would be equipped with this prayer with two things. One, a prayer pattern that you can pray, and number two, really, more than that, a vision of God that will encourage you to speak the gospel to others with boldness. That's my aim. And uh, I do expect 
opposition to come as we speak the gospel. And, and it takes many forms, some subtle and some more overt. And, and I expect it because Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I know there's opposition and my aim is to equip you with a vision of God and a prayer that would give you grace, that God might be pleased to give you grace to speak the gospel with boldness. That's, that's my aim. Now, we just begin by telling you of a conversation I had with a, a man named Musa. Musa is the denominational leader of the 4,000 churches of the Evangelical Churches of West Africa. And, and I had a chance to meet with him and have a conversation with him. And, and in the conversation, knowing that he was from Nigeria, someone asked him, um, are you are you afraid of the persecution that's going on in in uh, Nigeria? And and he responded and he said, "No, afraid is not the word." He said, "Aware, aware." I'm going to read it now. I wrote it down. I'm aware that persecution and killings can break out at any moment. My concern would be that if I were tortured to death slowly that my, my my wife might be forced to watch. That would be my concern. And then he went on to describe his longing to go back and join his family and continue ministering to the growing 4,000 churches in Nigeria. Now, what do you pray when you're in a situation like that? Or or even if 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 it's more like the opposition that we face here, the more subtle kind of opposition which amazingly shuts down our our words our gospel words you know the opposition that we face might relate more to a roll of the eyes or uh or uh even an unspoken perception that people are going to think that i'm really stupid or going to think i'm a religious freak so i better not say anything um or the opposition that you might feel is opposition from family as you meet with them over the Thanksgiving meal. I mean, I feel it. Um, a pressure, but don't, don't talk about religious things. Don't talk about Jesus, please. Well, what do you pray? Well, we're going to look into Acts 4. Let me just give you a sense of the context here. The context is is wonderful, uh, just early church history. Peter and John had just been arrested for doing good, for for healing a lame man and preaching the gospel. This is, this is the place from which we get the children's song, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the man went walking and leaping and praising God. And for that, for for healing a lame man, Peter and John are arrested and uh, locked up in jail. And then before they're released, they're told, don't speak in Jesus' name anymore. Do not talk about this Jesus. And uh, it was no empty threat. Jesus had just been murdered by the same leaders. Stephen will soon be stoned. This is Acts 4. In Acts 6, Stephen will be killed for talking about Jesus. Uh, 
The believers are going to flee Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8. Stephen, or excuse me, uh, James will be beheaded. I mean, it's not an idle threat when they say, don't talk about Jesus or else. So what do they do? Uh, upon their release, Peter and, and John go straight to the church and they tell them what had just happened and how they'd been commanded not to speak about Jesus anymore. And in verse 24, it says that, that the church prayed. Verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So the church hears the report and the first thing they do is they pray. And uh, my question is, what did they pray? It's striking what they don't pray. You know, I'm thinking, okay, so I just got re- arrested. These religious leaders who killed Jesus and who are going to kill Stephen say to me, don't talk about Jesus or else. And everything in me wants to pray, Lord, protect me. <laughs> they don't pray that. There's nothing wrong with that prayer, but that's not what they pray. Or, you know, the other thing that comes to mind very easily for me is, Lord, take them out. <laughs> take them out of the way. <laughs> you gave Herod a heart attack. You know, give, remove my opposition. That's not what they prayed either. Not what they prayed. What did they pray? Okay, here it is. Let me break it down this way. They, they prayed a prayer of praise and a prayer of petition. Uh, a prayer of praise, praising God, first thing they did. And the second thing they did is they, they offered up their prayer requests and that'll form the outline for, for the rest of our time together. Let me just break up the prayer of praise into three observations, three points. So first of all, they praise God. and They don't ask Him for anything first off, they just praise Him. And look at that in verse 24 and continuing. They pray, Sovereign Lord, stop. They pray, it's really one word. They pray, Lord. And, and right there I see that they have a, a vision of God that, that fuels their prayers. The, the word in the original is, is the word, you can, you can hear some of its meaning as I try to pronounce it. Despotes. Despotes. Oh, despotes, they pray. It's the word from which we get the word despot. And in a earthly use, we tend to use it in an evil way. For an evil leader who has absolute power and, and he just stomps on his people to, to accomplish his, his rule and whatever he wants in a, in a kingdom. And, and clearly that's not the, the sense here that this is an, that God is evil. The sense is that he is all powerful. He is he has all power, yes. But that he is, he is good. He is sovereign. He is the ruler over all. The, the, the word is used five other times in the New Testament. So it's not that common as, as, as affirming that God is the sovereign Lord over all things. So just notice that about the prayer. Here's the second thing to notice about the, the prayer of praise here. They not only Praise God as sovereign Lord, but they, they also praise Him as, as the Creator. I'll just read it. Again in, in verse 24. Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We stop there. So, not only do they they affirm God as sovereign Lord, but they affirm Him as, as Creator. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So, Here's the way I, I think about it, and, and I think this is the way the Bible thinks about it, and it has parallels in how we tend to think about power and and uh, right and creative rights. Uh, let, me, let me give put it in an illustration first. Um, as a, as a child, I remember making a, a sandcastle at Lake Nokomis. I grew up in Minneapolis. Lake Nicomas, I built a sandcastle, and then, and my, then, then my brother admiring, my older brother admiring my beautiful sandcastle, then went to, and stepped on it, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and my mother, uh, saw that as wrong, right? She said, Larry, you did not make the sandcastle, it's not yours to demolish. <laughs> Creator, when you create something, you have rights over it. it. It's very fitting that you know if if I if I made the picture, I can tear it up and do another picture, right? But it's wrong if the creator of the picture, if if, if someone who didn't make the picture comes up and says, "Oh, nice picture," <laughs> right? We go, "That's not right." If you make something, you have rights over it. You can just pick your image. Pottery. I've, I used to do pottery in college. Make a pot. Like it or hate it. Uh, we'll try again. The creator has rights over what he creates. And, and that's the way the Bible thinks. Put them together here now. Sovereign Lord, creator of all, right? God created everything. And everyone. And therefore, he has the right to exert his omnipotence, all his power, to do as he pleases with the peoples of earth and the, and the universe and everything that he's created. It's right and it's fitting. And that's the God they praise. Sovereign creator. He made Peter and John and he made those religious leaders who killed Christ and he has made you and me and we join Daniel or the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4 verse 35. We join Nebuchadnezzar in acknowledging that he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? As if you have no right to do as you please. So God is sovereign and God is creator. And the third thing I want you to notice about their prayer is what I see them doing is is taking the, the vision of God as sovereign and creator and praising him for his sovereign work in history. Uh, let me read again from from verse 25 here. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he quotes Psalm 21, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Hmm. So this, this, this Davidic psalm talking about how futile it is for the peoples of the nations to plot against the Lord's anointed, against the Lord's Christ. And then he applies Psalm 21, the futility of opposing the work of God through the Messiah to the, their present day and the death of Christ. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do, here comes the sovereignty, whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. So they praise God for his sovereign work in the death of Christ to accomplish whatever he predestined to accomplish for the glory of his name and for the salvation of the lost and the gathering of his people to himself and the bringing us to God. They praise God. They go to the, 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 the greatest opposition Christianity has ever faced, death of Christ, and they praise God for accomplishing his purposes through that opposition. So, you know, I don't know the kind of situations you face. Maybe it's family members who, who think you've fallen off the, the wagon in your Christianity. Or maybe it's a neighbor who you feel so shut down in, in speaking the gospel to, or a co-worker. Or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a, a situation that will soon be coming your way where the hostility, the threat of opposition will be greater. You know, it could be a short-term mission trip you're planning on being a part of. I don't know. But what do you pray when you feel and face an opposition to speaking the gospel? Well, this text would say, praise God that He is sovereign. Praise God that He made everything and praise God that He is the right and the power to do as He please, pleases. And praise God that He exerts that right even in the death of Christ to accomplish His purposes which incidentally saved us, called us to Himself. And in that praise, infer that this same God is sovereign in His might and His power over your present Situation of opposition that you might feel and trust him to work for the glory of his name. That's who he is. So that's number one. And, and, uh, let me, uh, now turn to the petitions. It's, it's very simple. There's only two verses of, of, uh, prayer requests here. Two verses. And again, it's striking what they don't pray. They don't pray in the opposition or protect me, get me out of here. Anything like that. It's very simple. Verse 29. Three points about the petitions here. Now here's the first. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. You know, first glance, that sounds really stupid. (laughs) Doesn't it? I mean, 
Doesn't God see everything? So Peter and John here, don't talk about Jesus or else. The church gathers, praises God, and then first prayer requests, Lord, look, notice. You know how I thought about it? I thought about it when, when you're a child. When, when, one of, when one of my children would fall and skin their knee, they, they'd come up and they'd say, Daddy, look! Look! Or it could be in the injustices that happen in the back seat of the car. My, my brother and sister would lick me. Honest. Um, so I, I'd be sitting in the middle, I'm the youngest, and nobody's looking... Mom, look! They're licking me! (laughs) It's kind of like that, I think. It seems... um, It seems tender. It seems hopeful. It says, Lord, Lord, you you see this pain I'm in? This uh, opposition I'm facing? I know you saw it. You saw it. I mean... Your kid will do that even if you watch them fall. You know, that you fall off the bike and they come up and say, look. Um, it feels like that to me. Father, look at the situation. I mean, look at the opposition I face. Look at the anxiety that I feel. Look at the fear. That's the first prayer request. Look. Notice. It doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't Notice it means, Lord, look, look and act. Look and do something. Lord, help me. Second thing to note about the petition is, is this request for boldness. And now, now Lord, look upon their threats. And then here it is. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I love this word here. It's a, it's a word that means openness or plainness. And the way I think about it is that the, that the you that you are on the inside would be the you that you are on the outside. That if you love Jesus on the inside, that with all plainness, you would love Jesus on the outside. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be hidden. You wouldn't be, um, cloaking who you really are because of fear of what somebody, how somebody might react. So it's a, it's a wonderful word and a wonderful concept, this, this, this word boldness or openness or plainness. It even feeds the idea that we speak the gospel to one another as the church. Because, you know, what, yeah, I think we all know what we value comes out of our mouths. What we're happy about comes out of our mouth. The Vikings won! Right? It's just very natural to share your joy with somebody else. And um, what we're realizing at Bethlehem is, is how crucial it is that what we are on the inside be what we are on the outside, even when we gather as the church. To say, you know, I am so happy that Christ has accepted me as I am because of the work of Christ. That I'm forgiven. I'm, I'm full of hope for tomorrow. God's for me and not against me. And that that plainness that we would have as the church would overflow into our relationships with unbelievers. And it would just be so natural to talk about Jesus with unbelievers because it's so natural to talk about believers or about Jesus with believers. 
Make sense? Does that make sense? A plainness in our loving of Jesus would be a wonderful grace in and outside the church. I mean, and, and I do want to put a disclaimer on boldness. You know, we can often think of boldness as, oh, obnoxious, a jerk. Uh, I don't think it needs to mean that at all. Um, I mean, I think of, there's these wonderful examples that pop into my head. I'll just try to list them real quick without spending a lot of time on them. Jews for Jesus came to town, uh, and David Brickner was just with us recently. I mean, to, to gather up people to witness in Jerusalem and seven cities of Jerusalem, or seven cities of Israel in the next few years, that, that's a bold thing to do. That's a bold thing to do. To, I, I remember one of the things that happened when they were here. Uh, they were witnessing in the skyways in downtown St. Paul. And, and uh, the skyways are, are like a sidewalk. They're public property. And uh, one of the, the Jews for Jesus... Um, Evangelist was witnessing in the skyway and the police cars were forming below him. He could see them and he's just witnessing and telling of the gospel. Somebody called the police on him. And, uh, and he's just sharing away. The policeman comes up and says, this is public property. You're doing just fine. Just stay out of that store and stay out of that store. And he leaves. <laughs> just not rattled. Not rattled at all. Um, boldness. I, I heard... Uh, Dana, is it Dana Curry and Heather Mercer, the the two that were were uh, kidnapped in in Afghanistan, come to a prayer breakfast in Minneapolis, and at the prayer breakfast, it was it was noticeably absent. The name of Jesus was noticeably absent. God, you know, I, I have a pet peeve that's developing, and it's avoidance of of. Jesus in, in, in our Christianity. So the prayers were going like this. God, thanks for the day. You know, unbelievers can pray that prayer. Not thanks for the work of Christ and our forgiveness. And so generic prayers. God, thanks for the day. And then closing prayers with, I don't know, this comes from an erasing of the biblical meaning of praying in Jesus' name. Ending prayers with, in God's name, amen. That is not Christianity. So they got up in that context and about every 45 seconds they mentioned Jesus' name. That was bold. They knew what they were doing into a generic context of Christianity that's really the norm, pushing us into just talk God, talk spirit, talk even just talk gospel. The gospel does this for me and the gospel does... And we said, no, 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 Jesus does this for me and his promises are contained in the gospel. So, boldness. Let me tell you a story. This is a story I, I read in Voice of the Martyrs. And and you should all subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. It's good for us to put our opposition in context. Let me tell you the story. It's a, it's a story of a, a Christian pastor named Mehdi Debaj, who was arrested in the mid-1980s in Iran for apostasy and blasphemy against Muhammad. And he was detained in a cramped hole in the ground, too small to even stretch out his legs for nine years. He had he was arrested during his imprisonment. His wife, under the threat of stoning, divorced him and was forced to remarry a Muslim. And his four grown children, at the time of the article, remained believers in Christ. So... 
There's the context. Now here, let me read from the account of his trial in 1996. Here's what he said. So he's on trial for blasphemy against Muhammad. He says, I am a Christian, a sinner who believes that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that through his resurrection and victory over death, I became righteous. So he's in a packed Islamic courtroom and what's he doing? Gospel. Remember Jesus said, don't fear what you're gonna, about what you're gonna have to say at that time. Just trust. The Holy Spirit will give you words. He goes on. Jesus asked me to renounce even my life to follow him faithfully and not to fear the world, even if my body must perish. I'm accused of apostasy. According to Islamic law, a man is an apostate if he does not believe in God or in the prophets or in the resurrection of the dead. We Christians believe in all three. I'm accused of having been a Muslim and having become a Christian. This accusation is inexact. The truth is that for many years I belonged to no religion. Having sought and studied, I obeyed the appeal of God and now believe in Jesus Christ. Men choose a religion, but a Christian is chosen by Jesus Christ. God the Almighty is with me, even if it means that the whole world is against me. If God is for us, who can be against? I'm told, return, return. But where can I go? I'm in God's hands. For 45 years I've walked with the God of miracles, and His goodness to me is a shadow that protects me in His love. The God of Daniel, who protected his friends, protected me during my nine years in prison, and all the torments changed to my good so that I have the fullness of love and gratitude. Of all the prophets, Jesus alone was resurrected from the dead and he remains our living mediator forever. I gave my life into his hands. For me, life is an opportunity to serve him and death is the privilege of getting to be with him. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then he blesses the court. May the goodness of God And his blessing rest upon you and remain forever yours. The verdict? Guilty. The sentence? Death. But about a month after his trial, for for some unstated reason, he was released from prison. But then after a few months, a... A fatwa, a religious edict, was pronounced calling for his execution. It appeared in the Tehran paper, and shortly thereafter, he was found dead in a, in a park in Tehran at the age of 65. Now, tell me, do I not need a God-given grace of boldness? Do you not need a God-given grace, a boldness. It's an odd thing. It, It almost seems like subtle persecution is more powerful than overt persecution. I mean, I think it's pride. I think it's unbelief. But, uh, let's, let's join the early church here and pray for 
boldness to speak the word of God. I say to speak. This is how I'm saying it at Bethlehem in our, in our evangelism push. I, I said last Sunday in the welcome, I said, we, we bought 10,000 copies of the gospel of John for 42 cents each. Not so that we would fly over Minneapolis and push them out of the plane. We bought these copies of the gospel to put in your hand so you could speak the gospel to one person at a time with boldness. That's the second petition. Here's the third. And, and I really, I love, I love this one too. It's, uh, it's there in verse 30. Let me take a run at it from verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And here's the third one. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name, in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. <laughs> uh, translate that. Third petition is this. Lord, while you grant us boldness to speak, do things that only you can do. Lord, do things that only you can do. Hebrews 2 verse 4 gives us insight into why, into the meaning of miracles in the New Testament. Hebrews 2 4. God also testified to salvation by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So if you put it together, you say, okay, Lord, give us boldness to speak Your Word while You do things that only You can do, do signs and wonders and miracles to testify to the reality of Christ in the Gospel as well. So here's, here's how I practically would put it together. If, if, uh, well, let me just get to Thanksgiving dinner, right? You, you know who, whoever, you know this life situations of the people at the table, I'll assume. And I'm inferring or assuming that there's an unbeliever at the table. Let's just assume that. Might, might or might not be true. If, if, if the unbeliever needs a job, pray for a job. The unbeliever needs healing, pray for healing. If they need peace, pray for peace. They're full of anxiety. If, if uh, they're struggling with their kids and how to raise them, pray for wisdom to parent. There's a way to pray, I'm sure, that for all these life situations, that Lord, Lord, do something. Uh, it, was, it was Wayne Grudem that, that put these two together for me a long time ago. He, he, said, he said he had a neighbor he was trying to speak the gospel to, who had a bad back. So he thought, I can pray for his back. And he said, is it okay, face to face, is it okay if I pray for your back? The guy, you know, blown disc. Yeah, please. Wayne puts his hand on his back and says, Lord, heal his back. In the name of Jesus. Through whom we come with boldness and confidence because he died for us. And welcomes these prayers for help. For his forgiven, blood-bought people who trust him. Amen. I squeezed it all together there, didn't I? A gospel prayer. So, that's the, that's the second prayer request. Or, excuse me, the third petition. Lord, 
do signs and wonders, heal and do miraculous things in Jesus' name while we speak with boldness. So, I should say, the biggest miracle of all would be, Lord, if, if their eyes are blind to you, open them to see your glory in the face of Christ and believe and be saved. Well, that's the, that's the, the prayer in, in uh, Acts chapter 4. The account closes with this wonderful description, verse 30, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me pray likewise that the Lord would grant you and me grace accordingly, according to this prayer. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would grant a grace that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to speak your word with boldness now and today and this week and this Christmas season as we interface with our family members and friends and and as the reality that we owe you thanks and Jesus was born 2,000 years ago is just right there. What an opportunity to speak of your reality to others. Give us boldness, I pray. And we affirm your sovereignty over all things. You created all things and you're all powerful and you, you will work even in the opposition that we might face for the glory of your name. And so we join with the early church in that prayer of praise and in the request that you'll notice the opposition and work. Uh, Incline yourself to work on our behalf and grant grace to speak and do miraculous things that only you can do for the glory of your name, that Jesus might be seen and believed in and worshipped as he ought to be loved and worshipped and treasured. Bless this church, glory of Christ Baptist, I pray. Uh, thank you for its existence and pray for, for the next hundred years of ministry here in Elk River that you'd grant a grace that this church would be about the spreading of your name and fame here in this area and around the world for 100 plus years or until the Lord returns. In Jesus' name, amen.